But oddly enough, that was the first time I was introduced to 3D printing. I uh, was, was the section chief over there. Uh, my commander called me into his office and said, uh, Mike, we're, we're going to buy you a 3D printer. And uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to be great. And he's got the RA sitting there with the, with the checkbook in hand. And I looked at him and I said, no, no, sir. That's Master Sergeant Offenbacker. Uh, he and I have, have worked together now for about a year jointly doing this innovation thing. And he is one of the most people first leaders that I've ever met. Absolutely love this guy. You're going to want to stick around and hear what he has to say. This is Azimuth Check, the Sparworks podcast. You'll hear from exciting people about making your organization faster, more adaptive, and more committed. I'm your host, Chief Denoyer, an Army Chief Warrant Officer, and the 425th Spartan Brigade's Chief Innovation Officer. All right, today we've got Air Force Master Sergeant Michael Offenbacker, who works in the Air Force innovation space, and he's stationed at Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson. Master Sergeant Offenbacker, tell us, man, what's your role in Air Force innovation? So I I belong primarily to the third wing. Their investment in the innovation lab has taken me that direction. So my primary role right now is uh, uh, organizing the the assets, the uh, the education piece, and the IT program for the innovation lab. That's really cool. Uh, I want to get into that and talk about that uh, first. I want to I want to take a little glimpse, see if we can get a glimpse inside, kind of what inspires you. Uh, has, have you read anything or, or watched or heard anything lately that just kind of gave you this real aha moment? Not so much as read, but I was uh, I, I just came back from leave. I was uh, down in uh, down in the Dallas area and uh, met with a lot of people. And you been, you start talking about what you do and, and where you've been and where you've come from. Uh a lot of things jumped out. Uh, met with uh, various uh, various individuals working with with Boeing and even in the fabrication industry, separate from aerospace. And to uh, the the biggest thing that that jumped out at me is just how accessible uh, the technology has come uh, from my early days as a as a machinist. And my limited experience of, of CNC to see the uh, uh, the industry just become obtainable at the you know entry level. You can you can learn this stuff with free software that used to cost ten grand to get into. Uh, to be able to jump on a Udemy for fifteen dollars and learn the same skills the professionals have been using for the last twenty years. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing that that, uh, that really drives this this entire innovation space is the accessibility of the technology has just come so far uh, in, in such short amount of time that uh, it's it, it's something we we need to take advantage of and frankly it's too easy to uh, to do to to not be doing it. That's so awesome the accessibility that anybody can do this, anybody can learn it. 
everyone can participate. That's just, that's, that's innovation. That's everything innovation should be. No, the, the education opportunities, the, they really form it, like choose your own path. Uh, if, if you're a hands-on learner, software is something you can do hands-on. Uh, if you need to watch videos, it's all over the internet and how to do this stuff. If you need to talk to other people, there's communities out there. There's Facebook groups that I tap into for CAD stuff all the time. And you can see what other people are struggling with. You can ask them questions directly and get answers relatively quick. So it, it really is create your own path to the education you want. That's so dope. Right on. So, um, did you like, did you always want to end up doing this? Like, did you always want to get into innovation or? No. Yeah. I mean, this has really just evolved over the last, uh, you know, three to five years uh, in the air force, the innovation industry as a whole has, uh, has been a long, been around a little bit longer. Um, I'm probably the least likely person to end up doing this. Uh, my dad was a typewriter repairman and uh, would not let us own a computer until uh, I was probably a senior in high school uh, out, of, out of spite for putting him out of business. He actually joined the army when he was 32 years old after he lost his, uh, his self-employment status uh, repairing typewriters for IBM. Um, so, I mean, I joined the Air Force as a machinist and welder. Uh, our tagline is modern day blacksmith. It takes back, it goes back to one of the, you know, earliest career paths in the, in, in human history is, is making stuff. And then I end up, uh, end up using computers and software and technology stuff. So yeah, it's been, uh, (laughs) it's been a trip. I don't know how I ended up here, but, uh, uh, but I am, Uh, I will say though, the, the uh, metals technology in the Air Force, machining and welding, the uh, you know the the skill is one part, but it's really the culture that comes with that career field that probably drove this more than anything else. It's very much problem solving. Um, the, most of aircraft maintenance is very you have a book and you do what the book says, and if you can't do what the book says, then you call somebody else, and then they find the ne- the next book. Uh, metals tech is very much get out there, do it by the book until the book, you know, doesn't have the answer. And then we design something, work with engineers. Uh, we create off aircraft uh, equipment all the time, uh, support equipment. We have, we do repairs on and use best judgment in, in a lot of cases. So I think, um, just that problem solving, uh, mentality. And uh, it's it's a very empowering uh, career field to where you do have the skills to make things work that shouldn't ever work again. Uh, so I, I think that's what what's, uh, what really drove uh, how I got here. That's, that's cool. So you've been uh, like m- making things better, repairing things has been in your blood. Your dad was a <laughs> typewriter repairman. Uh, you, you came in, you came into the art, like, tell, tell us that story. How'd you come into the air force? Like what, what path in life led you to the air force? And then, you know, so many, how many years down into the air force now are you? And, and how'd you wind up in 
uh, third wing as the innovation lead and the chief innovation officer for J Bear Arctic Spark. Oh, that's uh, that's probably another whole podcast in itself. So I'll try to keep it short. But uh, no, just even coming out of high school, I just wanted to do something that uh, that meant more than going to work and uh, affecting somebody's bottom line. Uh, so I, you know, I, I I liked working with kids. So I try. I was working in schools right out of high school, trying to trying to go to college. Uh, one of the schools I was working at, I was working with some off-duty cops and uh, they were, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, talking to them about what it takes to, to be in the police force. So I, I did try that route for uh, probably probably two years. Uh, as soon as I turned 21, I was trying with two different cities outside of Phoenix with Glendale and Avondale. And uh yeah, that's a that's a long drawn out process. I didn't exactly have much experience beyond working in those couple of schools, and I was fairly young. And they weren't willing to take a chance on me at the time. Um, so, uh, you know, frustration. I was driving by Luke Air Force Base and with my wife, and my daughter in the back seat, and we said, uh, uh, kind of looked over and I said, you know what, we. I, my dad was in the army. We were, we were happy. We were comfortable. And, uh, uh, you know, I feel like that might be a good path, uh, to, to give back, to do something more. And, uh, so the next day we were in the recruiter's office and looked at the recruiter and said, I want to be, uh, I want to be a cop in the air force. And she looked at my daughter, looked at my wife and said, what else do you like to do? Let's try that instead. And, uh, I was watching a whole lot of monster garage at the time. Said, well, I'd, I think I'd like to try welding, and she said, "Let's uh, let's look at that instead." So that's kind of where the the whole welding thing came from was watching a, a, a whole bunch of Monster Garage with uh, Jesse James. Uh, but now, I, so I went to Mountain Home, worked on F-15s for a few years, and that's a workhorse for a machinist. Uh, and uh, there's some F-16s in there as well. Uh, after a few years, I was at uh, Travis Air Force Base. Uh, working on uh, uh, C5, C17s. Um, at the the same time, you know, there was a, a whole lot going on in uh, in my life. My uh, daughter was special needs, and uh, so we we were working with the EFMP program, the Excep- Exceptional Family Member Program at Airman and Family Readiness Center, uh, and uh, doing a lot for the special needs community. So there was there was always a sense of uh, I can do more. Uh, even even alongside of what my job could offer, uh, was never never patient, never waited for for the next opportunity to present itself. I was always looking for for the next thing to do. Um, so the the EFMP program uh, had a whole lot of volunteer opportunities. Uh, even as a as a young NCO that didn't have a lot of leadership opportunities, those volunteer opportunities gave me that that leadership that and even event organization. Uh, you know, we created the uh, superhero camp for uh, special needs kids at, at Travis, uh, me and my wife, just, it was uh, kind of like what we're doing now. It was, where's there a need and let's find a way to fill it. And the need at the time was high functioning special needs kids. Uh, the, you, most of the special needs kids got, uh, you know, a lot of special uh, they they have their therapies and treatments. Uh, the higher functioning special needs kids, they they had some therapies and treatments, but among their peer community, they were kind of uh, 
they were kind of left out. And even with the youth center and the CDCs, uh, they weren't able to do the same activities as their peers uh, because they didn't have the staffing. So we wanted to offer them another opportunity to do all those things that other kids were doing. So we created the, the superhero training camp. Um, so we, we taught them to fly, even if it was in harness and ropes. So, uh, they, they learned, they got their Spider-Man badge by climbing on, uh, climbing on stuff. So we set up a, a week long camp. It was everything we they even, uh, we had Jedi battles in this thing too. It was, uh, we, we ran that for two consecutive years at Travis air force base. Uh, and then, um, at the time I was working as the unit deployment manager, uh, again, not waiting in opportunities. Uh, I was looking for the next thing, machining and welding. I was, uh, uh, a low supervisor in the shop, uh, that, uh, I basically wasn't being utilized. Uh, I was, I was sitting in my hand. So I asked for another opportunity. So I was working on command staff or the, not the, uh, but the, uh, uh, commander support staff for the 60th maintenance squadron and, uh, learning a lot of, uh, management aspect, program management, mainly, um, uh, on that side and then getting leadership opportunities through my volunteer stuff. Uh, and I had some very encouraging, uh, teammates over there. That was probably one of the, the most high functioning teams that I, I have ever been a part of. Uh, and uh, they encouraged me to go back to school at that time. So I finished my uh, bachelor's in organizational leadership um, shortly after I left, uh, left Travis. Um, uh, I finished my time up with the uh, support staff and uh, uh, got orders to Korea almost immediately. Uh, Left, left the family, but, uh, you know, had to take the, uh, take the, the best, the most of the opportunity while I was there. Uh, was the section chief for, uh, the metals tech shop when I got there. Um, just with the ebbs and flows of, of Korea, um, you know, it was the, the same struggles most, uh, deployed and most, uh, remote assignments most uh, have, but, uh, with the special needs uh, child back home, you know, it was uh, there was a different element to it. But uh, what I found was at the time, especially the most of my shop had uh, similar situations over there. So I felt like I was sent over there for that reason to uh, kind of translate some of the struggles that my airmen and my NCOs were feeling up to up to leadership. Um, and uh, uh you know, I, I I like to think that that's the that's the difference in taking that assignment uh, uh, for me was uh, was the team that I had there. Um, but oddly enough, that was the first time I was introduced to 3D printing. Uh, was as the section chief over there. Uh, my commander called me into his office and said, uh, "Mike, we're we're going to buy you a 3D printer, and uh, it's gonna you know it's gonna be great." And he's got the RA sitting there with the with the checkbook in hand. And I looked at him, I said, no, no, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's not what this shop needs. And, uh, uh, he, he looked like I kicked his puppy. He was pretty disappointed. And he asked why. And I said, well, sir, you know, I have, I have an airman that sleeps with his oven open because we can't keep his dorm room warm, uh, at night. Uh, we have 
equipment that's rusting in the shop that we can't take care of because we don't have climate control. And we have to call for a mobile air compressor every time we run our air tools in the shop. Until you can fix our air compressor and give us climate control and keep our airmen warm, 3D printing is the least of our worries and it's probably the last place in the Air Force we need to start 3D printing is in Korea with the high turnover. Uh, he was he was disappointed, but we got our climate control, we got our air compressor, and our, our airman's heat got fixed within uh, within days. So, <laughs> uh, good turnaround. Uh, then... <laughs> Yeah, left that assignment, went out to Davis Monthan and uh, took on the same role there, but larger shop. I went from uh, 30, 32 personnel to 54 personnel at Davis Monthan. Uh, high tempo place. Um, very, uh, very much a job shop. Uh, most of the most of the, the work at Davis Monthan's done on the line, uh, keeping the A-10s going. And uh and, and it's a it's a hot place too, so climate control was an issue there. So I got there, and they said, "Well, you know, we're it sounds like we're getting a three D printer." And uh, me and my uh, assistant in COIC went to the went to the commander and said, "No, sir, I don't think that's the right thing for this shop. This shop has uh, four major pieces of uh, critical equipment that's down right now that we can't keep maintained." Our airmen don't have the repetitions to even be proficient welders, and uh, we uh, we don't have the time to train a new skill on top of everything we have in this shop. And uh, uh, that didn't go over too well. They said they'd still pursue it, but they, we got our critical equipment fixed. Uh, I was only in that shop for about nine months. Uh, I had an opportunity to take a special duty assignment with Airmen and Family Readiness Center at Davis Monthan that I applied for. Um, and, uh, as a, a new section supervisor came in and the, and, uh, kind of, he took on, uh, the culture direction he wanted to take. It was, uh, kind of the right time for, for me to move on. So, um, they soon after got their 3d printer and, uh, as, as did much of the air force, but, uh, I, I, did Airman and Family Readiness Center. I was the superintendent there for three years at Davis Monthan um, and had a, you know, very different experience there. Motivated me to go back to school and get my master's. I uh, completed my uh, master's in administration with a public management focus uh, coming out of that job. Uh, great opportunity, again, working, uh, working more with people than technology for sure. Um, still had uh, uh, the, the, Computers, uh, all the computer issues there ended up being that my tagline there was I'm not the IT guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was it was a good time. Uh, uh, definitely miss working there, but a different different environment for sure. Uh, but came out of that job as a mandatory mover, landed here at, uh, at Elmendorf. Uh, I was, uh, again, uh Put back as the section chief of metals technology, this time a much smaller section, uh, 16 personnel. And there's a, a civilian foreman over in the shop there uh, and uh, 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 got there right away. And they said, you should see what we're doing with 3D printing. And I, I kind of cringed. Uh, it, it took me a little while to come around to it. But uh, the, the the critical difference here is that uh, uh the resources put into the program. Uh, there's the civilian continuity in in that section versus the previous two. 
uh, makes all the difference uh, to carry over the education uh, and then the uh, the willingness to try things uh, uh, in different ways. The the culture was significantly different uh, in in that shop from uh, from my previous Melstech experiences. Uh, a lot of value, a lot of creativity in uh, in the additive manufacturing program. Um, I, I had the opportunity to go to a few conferences after that and uh, get the the Air Force's big picture of additive manufacture, uh, went out to the Advanced Technical Training Center in Middle Georgia uh, and and saw what the Metals Tech Programs Office is doing alongside of uh, the uh, uh, the Georgia uh, Georgia Tech uh, University is working with them down uh, down in Georgia, as well as uh, the uh, Dayton Technical, or there's a there's a college up in Ohio that's uh, that's working uh, with the Advanced Technical Training Center out of Wright Pat Air Force Base as well, and to to see how they're how they're instituting and how they're bringing along additive three um, D printing with uh, with printing metals and trying different designs for for components. Uh, it, it was. Uh, really cool to see kind of the direction things are going and it was really eye-opening to uh uh you know where in just my short career uh how far it's come and to see where it's going uh and that uh, i that was kind of my my introduction to the innovation side of it um when i came back when they were asking for for team members for the for arctic spark I did not raise my hand. Uh, I was happy with uh, with helping Metals Technology move in the direction we were going. Uh, I was then told I was going to be uh, on uh, on Arctic Spark and this innovation team that the Third Wing is putting together. Uh, I was a uh, going to be on as a mentor uh, originally, as the Third Wing took on more projects. Uh, and went in more directions than additive manufacture. We immediately started doing uh, doing things with with uh, custom custom software, uh, with other physical prototypes, and uh, and took on more of a project management role on the third wing side. Uh, at the same time, again, the the third wing invested in the innovation lab uh, aside uh, alongside the six seventy third airbase wing. And uh, it was uh, it became clear really fast that without uh, you know we put a lot of money into this, but there wasn't a structure for the uh, uh, for the program itself. And uh, there was a, a core group of us that started putting together what the what the program underneath the assets should look like, what the what the manpower required, and just being a uh, uh, kind of a. Uh, I guess founding cog in the machine of uh, in a, of the innovation stuff. Uh, with that, uh, I was asked to stay on board for the uh, uh, for that piece of it. As as Captain Scholes, uh, Captain Jamie Scholes, has uh, has been tagged for the the second iteration. Uh, we've worked really close to uh, to to make sure we we develop a sustainable model of not just what's been purchased but how things are how things operate and uh and 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 you as well who's been right there alongside since uh since we've teamed up and 
uh, I mean, it's just been, uh, it's been a crazy ride and, uh, happy, uh, happy to be a part of it. It's, uh, it's exciting to see it come as far as it has in a relatively short amount of time. <laughs> it, it just a, a lot of listening. And the, the, the more I, I listen, uh, and learn, um, so not just listening, but reading, uh, it, it just, Knowing what re- what resources are out there, knowing knowing the network, knowing the system, um, knowing what technology can do, knowing what what airmen can do, uh, and having a a good feel for not just where we're at as a culture in the Air Force, but sometimes even just the 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 lower level organizations themselves, knowing which ones have the appetite to to pursue uh, different opportunities, different innovation. Uh, uh, opportunities uh, and just connecting um that that's when i'm running projects that's really my mindset uh is just look listen for what the real problem is and uh searching for for the resource uh owning that we don't always have all the best answers um that sometimes the immediate answer that we can provide isn't the best. Uh, maybe we can provide a band-aid solution, but let's look out and uh, and see what see what the sustainable solution is or the the next iteration solution is. Uh, a lot of times it is technology. Sometimes it's not. Uh, I think sometimes we we you know stretch for yeah. uh, you know we we see what some technology can do and we think that's the that's the solution for for something but it's really just the shiny object detracting us from uh solving the root of the problem um so root cause analysis is is important to us uh understanding the uh, course of action selection is important to us and uh just kind of i guess being the the gauge of where we're at and and all that uh we can't make determinations for the the problem owners or for the the, the adopting units of uh of the, the programs but uh, we definitely have to be kind of the gauge and let them know uh, you know if they're on track or not yeah right on yeah yeah it definitely has uh come a long way quickly uh, and you and I have talked about a strategy of an idea or the evolution of an innovation. Uh, can you tell us about that? Like, how do you do this? Uh, what's it look like when someone has an idea? When airmen walk through the door and they have a good idea, you know, we, we try to tell, you know, we, we walk through root cause analysis uh, and, you know, explain what that is that we're, we want to solve the problems at the right level that we can affect. But we tell them straight up that their job is their startup. They own themselves. Our job is to help them uh, sell out. Basically they need to uh, get to a point, prove their idea and show how it works, uh, show the return on investment. And then, then it's the, uh, we, we talk about scale. We talk about, is this a unit solution or is this a, uh, uh, just for this airframe or is this an air force solution? But their job is to sell that out at, at the scale that makes sense. Uh, and to then affect the, the greatest common, uh, denominator. Cool. 
Cool. So you guys have done, uh, you've done what might be considered innovative partnering, right? You've had soldiers come to you with challenges. Uh, airmen and soldiers have worked together on some opportunities. Uh, can you tell everybody uh, about some of the external stuff that Arctic Spark has done? Uh, our initial uh, our initial bridge was uh, using the library. Uh, so we, we did go over, we, we worked with library staff to install a, a 3D printer, uh, Microsoft Surface Pro, and some, some innovation, uh, uh, kind of a satellite cell uh, out, of the, out of the library. Uh, we launched that by doing a, a STEM uh, event with, uh, with, uh, with J-Bear teens. So they came in, we told them what all the stuff was. We introduced them to AI and VR and coding and 3D printing, all the fun stuff. Um, and then we told them, hey, whenever you want this, uh, this whole setup, this 3D printer is going to be in the library. And then the next week, the library was closed and everybody went into quarantine. Um, so there was a opportunity gained, opportunity lost relatively quick. Uh, but it, it was about that time we actually we started uh, started working closer with you, and we were, we were able to uh, on the on the Sparwork side able to uh, move those assets or, or add assets uh, on that side. But uh, definitely. We, we we wanted to affect the as much of the 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 J Bear the joint base Elmendorf Richardson community, um, you know my my focus uh, being being third wing, uh, I'm always looking out for those opportunities in operations and maintenance, and that that's where my my uh, primary focus is is going to lie. Those are the uh, projects that uh, I'm going to own and try to push, but always looking for opportunities to uh, to kind of build this network uh, as well. And, and Sparworks has really provided that. Uh, it's really uh, given us an opportunity to learn a, a lot. Um, most of our programs, a lot of our projects are not, uh, they're not ours to start. Uh, they're other, other areas that want to do something and that we've found opportunity in, in kind of piggybacking on that. And uh, in, in doing that, we're able to add resources that the project owner didn't initially have and education the project owner didn't initially have. Um, and then at the same time, we're getting a return because we're spreading it across the community. It, it, so, um, Example is our, our virtual reality program. That I mean, this is something that uh, you know we we talked very early on about moving on from just three D printing and virtual reality seemed to make the most sense, but we didn't know what that was, what that looked like. Uh, it was beyond video games. Um, so the third MX, uh, the third maintenance group, uh, wanted to add training opportunities. Um, for 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 their airmen and invested a uh, uh, invested some money in some virtual reality equipment and making their own uh, VR products. Uh, so we we saw that and uh, added a lot of research. That's when I know we 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 were working with you and uh, started touching base with uh, with local experts in the industry as well to to learn about 
what the opportunities were. Um, we, we tried on a lot of different things in a fairly short amount of time before we kind of narrowed down the problem statement to align uh, within the, the, the training and uh, the training realm, even beyond training. But uh, so we, we really uh, scoped it with this, uh, this new software that we found. It's not a new software, but it's new to us. It's 3D Vista. And uh, it, it's really kind of uh, shifted the maintenance group's focus, uh, you know, fairly recently. Uh, it, it's, it's been a good pivot. It's been, uh, there's been a lot of added value, but uh, so we were able to, you know, take something that, that they wanted to do uh, and then share resources, share time. I, I'm, I'm, and one of their resources as, as well, uh, primary, but uh, it, it was a way to share that. So now we're not just doing maintenance group stuff. We're doing quality of life uh, experiences. And, uh, and hopefully a lot of those are available here online really soon. So, uh, you know, we're just we're always looking for those opportunities, but it, it starts with just just listening and understanding. That's awesome. So talking about community, uh, you touched on, you know, working with, with jointly with soldiers. Um, but earlier you were talking about, uh, how you got into this position and all the opportunities that you had, uh, and found, <laughs> and you talked about sort of avoiding this area, you know, maybe not innovation avoidance, but adoption of new technology at Travis and Korea and Jaybear even a little bit, you know, there was some pause, um, innovation in the military an institution that's normally thought of to be very bureaucratic and rigid. Do you find it at all paradoxical that we ask our service members to think different about the way we operate? I think it's what we have to do. We always have. Uh, it, it, there's always been an element of it there. Uh, we're just trying to bring it more to the surface, uh, especially in the Air Force. Uh, there are definitely areas that we follow. We follow the book, uh, you know, in maintenance. I was right there with it. Everything's by the book, you know, as, as much as you can. You got to have something on paper, something signed saying you can do something. Um, we understand that. And we're not trying to get around that. Uh, I think what this is all about, really, we, we call it innovation, but it's really a paradigm shift in how we're, we fun we're functioning as a society. Uh, the military is, is right there with uh, a, a lot of industry partners in, in trying to get that. Um, it will help us shift faster. It will help us with the... Uh, with the idea of empowerment, uh, of giving airmen, giving soldiers, uh, sailors, the opportunity to not just say, here's a problem, but actually have a voice on how those problems are solved. We're going to get to fix things faster uh, and not, not just fix, but just make things, make things better, adopt things faster. Uh, we've always just kind of waited for the next thing to come along. Uh, and now we have airmen reading industry magazines and finding the next thing and 
uh, coding their own uh, platforms that'll fix this and fix that. Uh, you know, it's it's not really different. It's there. It, there's your different levels of uh, of participation in a uh, in an organization. You have participation, membership, and ownership. And uh, you know we're we're pulling out those members that want to act in an ownership level of the military and feel like they have a, a bigger bigger role in that. Uh, doesn't mean they always have the, the the best ideas or the best even the the best idea of the problems. I certainly don't. That's that's not really uh, my area. Um, I, I'm a lot of my ideas that I come up with in the innovation space. I get told all the time that that's a really bad one. Uh, so and I can acknowledge that, and that's that's fine. Um, but it, it, it's it's more about the the willingness to take ownership of of the next thing. And to have that role, uh, not being comfortable, I think is important. And, uh, you know, we, we find those members that want to act on the ownership level. We put them in an uncomfortable, uh, area and it gives them that opportunity for growth. But even if it doesn't come out of this innovation space, it's going to make their career, uh, better overall they're going to feel that empowerment and they will make a difference uh maybe not all of our projects will make a difference but the airmen involved will make a difference in and the soldiers and the sailors they they will make a difference uh at throughout their career and i have full confidence that uh, this program will pivot that so the culture shift supported individuals being able to take action and have an impact. That's so sick. Um, I can't remember where I read it, uh, that an innovation without action is just an idea or something like that. Uh, so with this shift in culture, do you think that anyone can be creative and that anyone can take, ac- take action? Yes. Well, that's the short answer. It doesn't mean you're going to bring the best solution or the idea will, that will be the final solution, but everybody's voice is vital uh, to the final product. Uh, so it's the right thing. Everybody has a different role in how they create. Um, some people are the initial creators. There, then there's refiners. Then there's the transition. Some people are just good at finding the details that like, hey, what about this? What about that? Uh and maybe they don't even create the solution to the, what about this? What about that? But as long as they're willing to help scope that out and, and work through that and talk through those problems, we need, we need that. Uh, and, but I think, I think a lot of people when they say, well, I'm not creative, I'm not innovative. I think there's a general, very general balance between uh, a fear of success and a fear of failure. Uh, the fear of fear, fear of failure is obvious. It's built into our, our DNA and uh, we, we got to kind of move past that. But the, uh, the fear of success is equally as damning. Really. It's uh, I, I've seen it almost really about 50, 50, the fear of success. It just means, well, well, what else am I going to have to do after this? Is it going to add work? Uh, is it going to take me away from this? Is it going to take me away from that? Um, and 
for sure. I, I, I believe fear of success is, uh, keeps people out of the innovation space just as much. All right. So Master Sergeant Offenbacher, 17 years in the Air Force. If you could share one lesson with everybody, what would it be? It's uh, uh, check your ego. Uh, innovation will live and die by by ego. Uh, if you're too in love with your initial idea and you're not open to uh, to changing directions, uh, it's going to kill it. Um, and at, at the same time, like if you don't have enough ego, enough ownership in, in what you're creating, then uh, you're, uh, you're going to fail to start. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, just, just know where your, where your ego is and uh, <laughs> what the, what the driver behind that is. But I, I'd say, I'd say ego is the number one killer of innovation. Ego. Yeah. Man, I love that. Um, and let me ask you this. What's the coolest thing that you've got to work with since you started in this space of innovation? That's awesome, man. Well, hey, Mike, if there's any listeners that want to get a hold of you, uh, are you on social media or how can they do that? We do. Have, we have our Facebook page. Uh, I would recommend following us on there. Check it out. It's just uh, J Bear Arctic Spark. Uh, or check out our, uh, we have a website, jbararcticspark.com has all of our information on it. You can tour our lab. You can see the resources that are out there. And then uh, uh, contact us through either jbararcticspark at gmail.com or arctic.spark at us.af.mil. Any of those uh, means or modes uh, will will probably get funneled to me regardless. So I would, uh, I'd, I'd start with those. Awesome. Right on. Um, so, hey, Mike, it's been awesome having you on, uh, talking with you uh, and learning from your experiences. I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've known you for going on a year now and still talking to you today. I, I learned so much more. Um, I know I'll have you on again, especially as I get better at this and get a new microphone. <laughs> but, hey, thank you for coming on. No, thank you for having me on. It's uh, we're you know, we're all learning this together and uh uh, it's, it's cool to see a lot of this uh, kind of happening now. So uh, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This has been Azimuth Check. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about what Sparworks has going on, check out www.sparworks.com. Our paratroopers are up to some very exciting stuff, creating some awesome solutions to some very tough challenges that only we experience in the Arctic. Thank you.